Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. First edition of 2021 presented by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar with my co-host, Mike Newton. Welcome back, Mike. Happy New Year. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Happy New Year to you, too. I hope you had a restful break. Mm, not particularly, but, no. uh, you know, business needs to happen. Uh, things are going on. So as much as uh, COVID has, uh, you know, quietened a lot of things, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of business owners that are... Uh, quite concerned and quite worried as they move forward. There's so much to discuss. Uh, we'll barely scratch the surface tonight, but of course you'll be, we'll be here uh, throughout the season. And uh, we're starting with a bang with Vince Guzzo, of course, talk about the cinema business, hospitality, um, and, and a lot, politics as well, probably. So Vincenzo Guzzo joins us on the program this evening. He'll be along in a few minutes. Uh, always interesting to hear from Mr. Guzzo. And coming up, um, we'll also talk about uh, capital gains tax and some rumored changes to that on the way with Nick Moretis, our tax partner. So that's going to be towards the end of the show. You don't want to miss that um, if you are watching your capital gains for the upcoming year. But first, obviously, uh, here in Quebec, Mike, we're in another lockdown period. It's another really difficult time for businesses and for leaders. Um, what, let's talk about management styles for a second. And you did some reading over the break about managing through ambiguity and, um, and sort of how to, how to navigate a, a very, very tense and, and confusing time. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, there's nothing simple about what we're going through at this point. And, and you know, we're, we're constantly betwixt and between the discussion of short term and long term. Uh, I think the, the vision needs to continue to be clear no matter what the environment is. I think we we jump between thrive and, and, and survive. And ultimately, at the end of the day, survive is not a long term business plan. Uh, and I think we have to maintain that uh, the point that we stay within. Uh, our long-term goals, but by still communicating and getting the information out to our team on an ongoing basis, I think the communication is, it has forced us to, uh, to, to, to talk more, to be more transparent than we were before. Uh, and it's very interesting that, you know, you look at all of uh, this environment and, and, you know, traditionally people need data, they need information, uh, you know, to make a decision and, and to kind of build a plan. Well, the reality at the end of the day is that's only going to get you so far. So no matter how much uh, you're going to rely on that type of information, you're still going to have to have a gut check at the end of the day and a gut feel for, for where you're going. Because if you're trying to eliminate completely uh, all risk, uh, I, I dare say you're in, uh, you're in the wrong business by being an entrepreneur. It's a weird time to assess risk, right? I mean, how do you um, how do you begin to do that in a, in a situation that's so volatile? And when the government could just shut things down any day, I feel especially for restaurateurs. Um, that, that's that's a tough one. It, you know what? It, it, it's there's just no good way to deal with this right now. And I and I understand the government's perspective of, of of you know trying to shut down in what has traditionally been a very quiet period for restaurants in January. Um, however, uh, you know, just we need to keep things moving to a certain degree. Yes, we need to be safe, uh, but we need to be spending as much time on trying to roll out uh, the vaccines as we are on trying to make sure that everybody's home by eight o'clock at night. So, you know, there's a balancing act here that uh, is not easy. Uh, and I don't dare uh, try to take uh, take the position of government in, in, in order to try and make those decisions. Uh, but I do say from an entrepreneurial standpoint, uh, we got to be careful how long we stay locked down for. And we really got to start rolling and getting people inoculated. What about as a coping mechanism, the word agility seems to be coming up a lot in, in a lot of pieces we've been reading. Um, how do you how do you maintain 
agility in a in a graceful uh, in a graceful way, and um, you know, while being true to your business and while while being also um, safe with your operations. A lot of this starts long before a pandemic. I mean, you you have to you have to be abiding by and and uh, living by a certain code of being agile, being open minded, being communicative, being transparent. There's no way on on March 13th uh, when we sent everybody home, were we going to revert to some formal uh, formalized. Uh, perfect plan if we weren't living in those environments and trying to live that uh, that that psychology, if you will, before. So yes, agility is there. I think the the thing that that, that changes is our ability to make uh, quick decisions. I think we need to make put the right uh, decision making powers in the right hands for the people that know what's going on and allow them to do what they need to do. But it, it's it's uh, you know it, it's again it's this long term short term balance. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people in crisis have no choice but to balance on a short term. I think if you're like you're talking about the restaurant industry, kind of hard to think five years out in a five year business plan uh, given the environment that most restaurants have been in lately. I think for environments, uh, professional services, and a lot of other things, yeah, you must continue to to look long-term because if you if you if you stay too short-term uh you're never going to have that agility on a long-term basis one topic you wanted to bring up tonight uh, which i think is interesting is enemies and uh this is one we haven't actually talked about on the show i don't think in a, in a serious way so what are your thoughts on this mike and if you're an innovator and if you don't have any um are you really innovating my answer would be no. I, I I really do think that somewhere along the way, if you're doing, if you're pushing enough buttons and you're doing enough things, you know, maybe the term enemy is a little harsh, uh, but you're going to rub people the wrong way. You're going to upset people. There's no way that you can, uh, you can create what you need to create. And, and I'm sure we can have this discussion with uh, Vince after on the Dragon's Den and, you know, stuff like that. But you, you can't go into everything being everybody's friend and, and hope to survive on that environment. If you haven't made friends, uh, I guess you're really if you haven't made enemies sorry i guess you're just not poking the bear along the way it's a it's a competitive system capitalism right i mean you're disrupting means you're ruffling a few feathers and and making a few quote-unquote enemies i mean hopefully not actual enemies but certainly adversaries that's why i say the term enemy is probably a little harsh adversary is probably a better term but i'm sure along the way we all make a few enemies and uh, you know the more you speak your mind the more you're trying to create something the more you're bucking the trend the more you change uh the the environment that people are comfortable in look i I dare say the last few years and the pandemic has shown it that the only constant is change and uh, the moment you create change is the moment you disrupt uh, a lot of people Yep, that's how I felt after the Pastigate thing. Uh, my email inbox was filled up with all kinds of new enemies I didn't even know existed. Yes, well, you know, and, <laughs> and, and certainly living in an environment where, uh, you know, we have uh, different cultures and different environments, it's, 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 it's not always an easy uh, fine line of, uh, of, of, of uh, friendship and enemies. We're going to speak to a man who who might have a couple of enemies. Um, he's a he's certainly a bold character in in Montreal uh, in the Montreal business community. Someone who isn't shy about his opinions and who uses his opinions to help his businesses. Chatting with a bold Montreal entrepreneur tonight, Mister Sunshine. He is the CEO of Cinema Guso, uh, Guso Construction, Medical Hospitality. He's a restaurateur with Julieta, uh, the pizzeria, the Guso Family Foundation, and of course Dragons Den. He's a dragon. Uh, on uh, on that program in both English and French, Vincenzo Guzzo. Welcome, sir, to today's entrepreneur. Hi, how are you? How's everybody? We're great. Thanks for joining us. So let's kick it off, Vincenzo, and uh, take a little bit of uh, a walk back, I guess, to where you started, how you got started, and uh, I guess not only what brought you to where you are, but uh, I'm sure there was a few uh, glitches along the way and a few uh, turns. 
Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this. I did not want to be an entrepreneur. Actually, uh, I had seen my father work long hours and, and, uh, so I actually wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a litigator. I was headed for New York city. Um, I was going to be Harvey Specter before Harvey Specter from suits existed. That was me. Um, and then my father reminded me that I was an only child and that, you know, he had built what he had built as a foundation for passing it on. That's the Italian way. Uh, and so they, um, they, uh, I guess, uh, through an emotional connection, got me involved in the movie um, theater business that we had. I mean, I'd grown up in it. I, you know, I worked as a theater manager and so forth and so forth. And within, uh, I'd say, a few months between uh, litigating leases and litigating relationships with L.A., I realized that I was doing more litigation than uh, if I'd been a lawyer. So, you know, I, all of a sudden I realized that all of my legal skills had been uh, uh, were going to be used even more uh, probably within the company than outside of it as, a, as an attorney. So where did you go to school? So I went, so I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Montreal uh, born and raised. So, you know, apart from going to Selwyn House, then I went to Bribeff and then uh, something, you know, one of those un un unfortunate situations happened in the CGF after a party. And so didn't finish my fourth semester. And so I headed to Western in London, Ontario, got my BA in economics, came back, went to uh, University of Montreal for a year in law school. Didn't like the fact that at uh, 20 odd years old they were still taking attendance as if I was in kindergarten so I said I'm going to Lucam and I did it as a night uh, course and then I you know became a lawyer and was like I said packing my stuff leaving you know for the big apple being the the the, the, the adventurer of a lifetime for me but uh, then uh, you know I remembered my mom cried for the whole time I was in London as if you know she had lost her son and as an only child and so forth and so forth and then I Started in the business. So, uh, you know, as of 2000, I would say, uh, no, sorry, as of uh, 1992, 93, I was going to law school and working um, at Cinema Good. So I was at office and I was handling all the legal and everything. And so one thing led to another. And because, um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, historically, movie theaters used to be uh, negotiated in Montreal. So, you know, the uh, the LA studios had a a major office in Toronto and then a satellite office in uh, Montreal. Um, I would say within a few years of my involvement, the Montreal offices started closing uh, because the LA guy says, well, why do we have those offices? I mean, the guys can call in Toronto. And then eventually even the Toronto offices started closing because I started dealing directly with uh, Hollywood. And there was no reason for that extra. So there's a lot of people, you know, talking about enemies. There's a lot of people who lost their jobs in this movie business because of the way I wanted to do business, which was, I don't want, I don't want five layers before I get the guy that gives me the decision. So I'm going to go straight to it. So let's talk a bit about the movie business, uh, Mr. Guzzo, because you made the news obviously in recent months, it's been extremely tough for you, your, yourself and other theater operators. What could the government have done better to just to either support or to organize your industry in a way that is safe for the general public now? I think so. So first of all, the government did what it had to do when it came to the reopening. And what I mean by that is um, I had gotten a call from public health and from people of uh, CNSST, which, you know, were the, for the employees' well-being and so forth. We went over a plan together. Uh, I spent some uh, considerable hours educating them. For example, you know, a lot of people don't know we no longer have projectionists. Uh, in the movie theater business. It is basically an iPad that you touch and the movie starts on a digital platform. So, 
it is what it is, right? So so they were saying, you know, the projection has got to be protected this way. And I said, it's an iPad. It's no. All right. So we went through the whole process. And it, it was interesting to see how outdated my industry sounded like to these functionaires. So we had we developed the whole program. The real problem that occurred were two. The first is I don't think that when so first of all, in previous pandemics, movie theaters were never shut. Movie theaters never shut. Movie theaters are always left open because they are a reference point to normality. That's where the normal person doesn't go get drunk. He doesn't get stoned. He goes to the theater and he and he just loses himself in a la la land for two three hours and he sort of refreshes himself, right? So when they shut down the movie theaters, everybody will remember I made a comment. I said, so I can get drunk, I can get stoned, but I can't go watch a movie. That's what you're telling me, right? Uh, and basically, I had advocated strongly for the mental health impact that we were going to uh, suffer. And in fact, kids were, you know, uh, you know, the premier was going out in, in, in his press conferences saying, you know, you're the parents, you got to take control of teenagers. No, but I'm at work. My teenager is doing what he wants during the day if you don't have him in school and if I can't entertain him somewhere else. When we reopen, the real problem is, once again, the government doesn't want to understand that a movie theater is not a pizzeria, right? So I own pizzeria, so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to a pizzeria. Uh, you shut me down. You tell me 48 hours ahead of time I'm going to reopen. I call my pizza Yolo. He goes there. He you know, prepares the dough, and 48 hours later, we're ready to go. It's not the same thing for... Uh, uh, um, for movie theaters because we show movies and the movies we show, we don't make. So it's not as if 48 hours before I make the movie and now. It, so we got to tell studios or distributors four weeks ahead of time because they believe there's anywhere between four and six weeks of heavy marketing to be done so that the awareness of a movie is there. So when I'm telling the government, I'd like to reopen for the 23rd, you know, La Saint-Jean, we're going to do a big thing, blah, blah. But I'm telling them this in April. And if you remember well, the announcement was done on the 19th of June. You're kidding me or what? Like, what is it, a joke? And so that means that when we did reopen the 1st of July, we had the problem that for six weeks, we did not have a movie. So we lost even more money technically during those six weeks than we did for the three months that we were closed. And so that's what we're trying to avoid now. And that's what the government's not understanding. My latest you know, picking on the government is, you know, quoting Einstein and saying only a fool uh, expects to to repeat the same actions over and over again and expects a different result. I mean, we haven't changed anything. We're still quarantining. We're closing. We're, we haven't learned from what we did the first time around. The, the interesting component is I think a lot of people will listen to this and go, Vince, great. Thanks a lot. But it's self-serving, right? Your, your, your comment is, is a self-serving one. Uh, funny, I listen to it and I hear something very different. I, I hear, you know, the angle of, of what we've tried to create with, uh, we've watched the athletes do it in NHL and NBA. It's that diversion factor. It's that ability to try and maintain an environment that allows us to escape from day to day. So, you know, I, I could sit back and go, hey, you know, uh, Mr. Guzzo, this is all self-serving, but there is a lot more at stake here than that. And, and there's that fine line between the emotional balance and, 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 and you know, how long long a we're under quarantine and how long it's going to take us to come out of all of this based on the negativity that we've all been living in fact i mean look the biggest problem you know i knew on the 26th of uh, september when uh, dr aruda was asked by an english media what do you think about movie theaters he says it's safe for 500 people it's safer to be half full in a 500 seat auditorium 
than it is 10 people at your house, right? right? I speak to him and I confirm what's he, what's the premier going to announce on Monday. Doesn't concern you. Movie theaters will stay open. Don't worry about it. So you realize when Legault shuts us down, my first reaction is to say, what the hell just happened? Like, whoa, you know, what's going on? And so I knew from the 26th of September when I spoke to public health that their recommendation was not to shut down theaters and restaurants. So for almost two and a half months, I had to hear a premier blame public health for closing something, right? So he's given, the problem with the premier is he's given the illusion that going to the theaters is dangerous when actually it's more dangerous in your home. It's way more dangerous in hospitals with the lack of proper ventilation systems. And it's horrible in schools with the outdated buildings that were there, right? So movie theaters are brand new. We have better HVAC systems. So, you know, and it's this illusion just to try and control uh, people that's very bothersome. And Mike, a very special guest for this first edition of the show for 2021, Vincenzo Guzzo, uh, Guzzo Cinema, of course, uh, Group Guzzo Construction, Guzzo Medical, Hospitality, uh, Julieta, the Pizzeria, and of course, Dragon's Den on TV. Um, Vince, did I mention everything there? How many businesses exactly are you in? Have you lost, have you lost well, track? If you want to add all of the names, you missed a few names. But overall, you can say, you know, Guzzo Hospitality, that'll cover a few businesses in the food service. You, you know, you can say, uh, 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 you forgot the Guzzo Real Estate. You know, that's, that's part of the construction division in our minds, you know. So there's a few. I mean, that, that's what we've done. We've just spread as much as we can all the time. So walk us through the logic uh, of, I guess, the competitive advantage that it must give you to have your own construction company and real estate company in the in the theater business. Uh, I am. Yeah. Well, so, you know, the, the, the construction side, it was just a natural for us. And what I mean by that is here we are building theaters. Uh, um, you know, we're giving out contracts to general contractors to build these theaters for us. We know those people are making a living doing something, right? I mean, whether it's 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent. And then they're probably making money up and above on a cost plus. So they have no interest in negotiating prices downward. Uh, and then at the end of the day, we're still being financed, let's say, 75% of that cost. So we turn around and we say to ourselves, look, we'll build it ourselves. We won't charge ourselves the 20 25% uh, uh, profit or upcharge. That means that's our equity that we're putting in. So we ended up uh, uh, building a, the uh, uh, you know, a, um, I guess a nicer uh, a mousetrap uh, for less money because now, you know, the cost, there was no, nobody letting the cost just run rampant because it was a cost plus. And at the end of the day, we had to put less uh, equity uh, injection because we just proved that we could build. So, you know, let's say what would normally cost us 12 million bucks, we could now build for 8 million. So when we went to the banks, we said, look, you should be lending me 100% because you're still at less than 75%. So, uh, and so that was a huge competitive advantage because we were able to build quicker, cheaper, uh, and it took famous players back then so much, uh, um, you know, from by surprise that, that, that they didn't know what to do for a few years. So you're not, you're not building theaters uh, 12 months of the year every year. So what are, there, no. what are, which, what are you doing with it, uh, with those businesses when you're not building theaters? So the construction side of the business is then developing some real estate so every theater we own has in excess of a million square feet of land attached to it. So then we can, you know, so in uh, in Laval, for example, we have, uh, you know, Jean Coutu, we have a value village. Uh, we have a government uh, services, uh, two floors, but we built that building 
in a way that we could add four more floors without actually touching the infrastructure of the building. It's already all reinforced and done for that, right? So, so we then developed the million square feet on the side, and that sometimes takes more than a year. So the theater is a clearer picture, right? We, we have six months of planning, six months of, of construction. That's one year. It's done. But when it comes to developing the land, that could take four or five years sometimes. Like now in the case of in Laval, we're actually considering putting residential towers, right? So that's maybe a, a two, three-year project by the time we're finished. That's what that division does at this time of the year. Uh, Vince, I was probably a teenager when I when you were building a lot of your cinemas, and I, I remember distinctly being wowed by like the spaceships you would put on top of them. You know, the, that that adding that construction wow factor. Uh, tell me about your logic there and the design of these big, like these kind of mini entertainment complexes. So the whole idea was that you know at that time what the U.S. guys were doing is they were building these huge theaters, but they were putting food courts inside their their movie theaters. We thought, you know what? I don't know if, you know, I don't know if, if the trend is towards more junk food and, and more, you know. So we turned around and said, how's about, you know, we start putting in bumper cars? How's about we start putting virtual reality machines? Stuff that you don't have 12 months of the year because Six Flags isn't open 12 months of the year, right? So we, we went in with that. So we, because then we were a Hollywood-based, call it, you know, entertainment company, we said to ourselves, you know what? Let's try and make these buildings a little sexier than just a square box with lots of marble and so forth and so forth. In fact, during the pandemic, we renovated two of our theaters and we did this whole graffiti uh, epoxy floor where we took, you know, graffiti artists from the street, guys that normally would go vandalize buildings. And we told them, come and vandalize my floors and we'll, and we'll varnish it all and we'll, we'll epoxy it and everything. And it looks really cool, really trendy. And the kids, you know, loved it. They only loved it for three months until we had to shut down again. But, you know, it is what it is. So it's all about building a building that represents what's inside, right? So the whole spaceship, the whole giant ball or the, the whole uh, sort of uh, uh, larger-than-life image of the outside of the building is because of the connection to Hollywood. Let's uh, let's take a little curve in this conversation and take a step back to some of the transition. I guess, uh, as you said, you were, uh, shall we say, coerced initially into uh, to joining the business. Uh, some people call that uh, love and guilt. Other people call it coercion. Um, you know, you started off, uh, you know, there was a great quote I saw somewhere about when you were at Selwyn House, you were basically doing your homework and then you were going out and, uh, you know, uh, in your dad's office and then going out and acting as usher or ticket taker or whatever, whatever needed to be. Um, at what point... Uh, were you serious about this? And at what point did, and what was that discussion like with, uh, with your parents, I guess, particularly your dad and, and where that, how that developed? Cause we all know that the family business conversation and the transition is not one that follows any routine. Okay. So, so, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's one, one very particular element is that I'm an only child. My dad's an only child. My great grandfather was an only child. My grand, you know, so, so we've been like that for eight generations, right? So, uh, on my mother's side, it's like they're, they're rabbits or something. Like there's eight kids at every generation. It's like it's a mess. I, I can't believe it. So, you know, if we were going to work together, it's because we felt we could actually make it work, right? So it, it's going to sound corny, but my father is probably my best friend. He's the guy that I would actually talk to him about, you know, relationships with girls or whatever, which most people don't do that. But I did because that was – he was my mentor. He was the guy that – so. So the big discussion that I think was was sort of pivotal 
in, in the decision of whether I was staying or not was in or about 1996. So, so I'd finished my law school. And like I said, I, you know, it was now two, three years I was working with the company. And I said to my dad, I said, we've got to stop with this, just putting, uh, let's say, uh, you know, we have a theater in the city of Terban and the theater's name was Cinema Terban. There was no Cinema Guzzo anyway. So I said, you know, we're going to put Cinema Guzzo. So he goes, well, you know, I don't know. What if, you know, one day it doesn't turn out good? What if something's, you know, you know, let's say, what if we go bankrupt and then everybody's going to know our name? Oh, my God. Don't worry about it. That's not how it works. It's added pressure on your back to actually make sure nothing goes wrong, right? So then we started working on the design, right? So as you can see by the uh, – well, actually, you guys can, but they could. So uh, as you can see by the design in most cinema gutsos, it says cinema small and gutso really big. Well, my father wanted it the other way. He wanted cinema really big and goods are really small. And I said, no, but it doesn't work. The pyramid doesn't work. It just uh, He goes, yeah, I know, but people don't know what goods are mean. Cinema, it says what the hell the building is. So I said, listen to me. The same way you know those goddamn arches on McDonald's. Are McDonald's? Trust me, people will know goods as movie theater. And my father said, you're crazy. It took us 10 years, but we've invested so much money in the branding of it that most French Canadians today don't say I'm going to the movie theaters. They go, I'm going to or I'm going to Gutsos, right? And that's an automatic for people in Montreal. Uh, in fact, somebody told me once, hey, some guy's coming to your house. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm going to Gutsos' house. I'm going to Gutsos. No, he's going to one of my theaters. He's not coming to my house, trust me. You know, and so th- that was the point. So I would say 1996, 1997, uh, and then 1998 was the big expansion. That's when we started. That's when we said, Nobody's going to like us anyway, so get out of the way, Cineplex. Get out of the way, famous players. We're going for the market. One piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. And uh, first, though, let's chat with Nick Moretis, tax partner at FL. And uh, Nick, we're going to wind you up on the speculation that capital gains taxes may obviously uh, rise uh, sometime this year. Yeah, there's been a lot of speculation. Uh, it go back five years that um, the inclusion rate of capital gains, which is right now 50%, so 50% of your gain is taxed, uh, will go up. And it'll go up uh, anywhere from maybe two-thirds to 75%. We were last at 75% back in 2000 for most of the 1990s. Uh, With the deficits that are running, uh, with the uh, political announcements that we got to tax the rich more, um, this this is something that we're looking at. It is a disjointed uh, capital gains are effectively taxed at about 26% uh, personally, where everything else, salaries double that, dividends are in the 40%. So why are capital gains down at, at 26? So there's a, there's a lot of speculation running. And the question is, um, and I'm getting asked by people who are sitting there, I'm, you know, I've, I've got investments. I let them ride. Uh, they've gone well. I've got accrued gains. And we're not talking about RSPs or TFSAs because they don't get taxed in, in regular accounts. What do I do? Um, well, there's, there's what some options. If you're really concerned, because on the next budget, maybe February or March, um, you sell them before then. Uh, usually when we do a change in capital gains, it's a, pr- it's a prospective change. It doesn't go back to January the 1st. So if you sold something, say, today, and in a month's time, the rate does go up to that 75% inclusion rate, which brings the actual tax rate to 40% from 26. It's a massive increase. We're not talking a couple of percentage points. Um, if you sold it today, uh, you got the cash and you'll have to pay tax and generally it'll be at this at the 26% rate today. Um, but what if you don't really want to sell or it's not something that you can sell? It's real estate that you've been owning or uh, shares of a private corporation. How do you handle this? Um, and w- what if you want to take a chance? There is 
um, planning available uh, by using corporations where you're transferring assets into corporations and you delay, you're transferring them now, but you're delaying the taxation until you know what's going on with the budget. So there is plans that you should be speaking to uh, tax advisors. The ones that are going to get crucified, uh, if I can use that word, um, with the, the raise on capital gains rates is entrepreneurs and business owners who are building wealth in corporations. Uh, there is a death tax uh, on, on your passing. You're considered to have sold your corporation for whatever it's worth. And, and today that tax will hit you at 26%. Well, if you have the misfortune of passing away after the next budget that raises the capital gains rates up to 40%, well, that value of your corporation is not going to get taxed at 40%. Very difficult to, to fix that. So be on the lookout. Nick Moretas, tax partner at FL. Thanks so much, Nick. We'll see you soon. Uh, Vincenzo Guzzo, we'll have some final thoughts for you. And Michael, maybe we should end on just uh, just squeezing a little bit more leadership, uh, expertise and experience and, and wisdom from Mr. Guzzo. Yeah, I, I'm just going to go back to where we were before Nick came on. A very quick discussion of taking on Goliath. So, you know, the, the David and Goliath, when you guys decided to take on famous players and, and Odeon, um, obviously what, what prompted that? Why did you think you can do it? And what, what did you do wrong that you think you would you'd do differently if you were to do it again? I don't think I did anything wrong taking them on. I think what I should have done is done it quicker uh, instead of, you know, only looking at Montreal, Greater Montreal, Quebec, uh, you know, the province of Quebec, I should have said, you know what, they're weak now, they're on their knees, let me go after them. I just thought, I said, yeah, you know what, I, you know, I heard them enough. You got to remember, I had told an L.A. guy that there was room uh, for, uh, um, you know, I, they had actually asked me, he said, do you think there's room for three big players in Montreal? And I said, I never said that. And he said, so what do you, what do you mean? There's Cineplex, famous players, and then you're coming in. So why are you coming in for this guy is one of them is going to leave, right? And in fact, that's what happened. A lot of people don't realize in Montreal that famous players in Cineplex became one, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and 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 we replaced guess the one that disappeared, and which is famous players. Now, you know, I don't think we did anything wrong. I think we did it right. I mean, we we took an old quote from The Godfather, and we said it's not business; it's strictly personal. You know, we did the opposite. While they said it's not personal, it's business, we said no, no, it's totally personal. And so there was nothing that was off the table. I mean, we would, you know, uh, uh, argue, fight, you know, use the media to denounce monopolies, you know, uh, uh, use lawyers. Uh, we went to the Competition Bureau. We actually contacted the U.S. Justice Department because uh, um, Famous Players was owned by Viacom that owned Paramount. So it was a collusion. You know, so it was a mess. I mean, they, they spent a fortune on lawyers just trying to find where we were going. And we had purposely lodged a complaint in the Competition Bureau uh, and it was four days before Christmas that everybody got their subpoenas. So, you know, uh, torture them by not giving them Christmas. That's what mm -hmm. that's what we did. So when Legault canceled our Christmas, I knew exactly how painful it was going to be. Perfect. You know, it, it's interesting that just uh, before we leave, Dan, uh, I think the point that, that you raise in terms of you should have done it quicker. Most entrepreneurs I have ever spoken to have never, ever said, uh, you know, I should have taken more time to get things done. Uh, every, every entrepreneur that has been successful has taken on, you know, whether it's big and small, that sense of execution, that sense of getting things done. And if it doesn't work, you go at it a different manner. But waiting and trying to get that perfection done is just not a recipe for ultimate success. Mitigate your risk. Minimize your risk, but in the same token, don't wait too long. That's right. Execute, learn how to pivot, and uh, build as much resilience as you can. I mean, one of the things I tell my wife all the time when we raise the kids, every time the kids fall, stumble, some problem, and they're having a hard time. You know, I have a son who's dyslexic like I am, 
And believe it or not, I tell my wife, don't worry about it. He'll be fine. In fact, because he's suffering now, because it's harder on him now, he'll build the resilience that when he turns 22, 23, and hard times come, he'll say, it's nothing. I can get through this. Versus that success story, the guy that never had to suffer through anything. Uh, you know. So I really believe that resilience is the key, uh, in some sense, to success. And so I think that anybody who's going to survive this pandemic on a business level will be a better uh, uh, entrepreneur going forward because of what they've learned, because of the pain. Because, you know, look, we lost maybe 20% of our value, of the theater value, because of this pandemic based on the burn rate. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, um, you know, I mean, the subsidies that we would have to get to cover that burn rate, it just doesn't make sense. We don't even ask for it because, you know, it would be unfair. But, I mean, so, so we've learned now uh, and we're probably going to have to rebuild and we're going to have to do it quicker. Uh, you know, to rebuild what we've lost in in the last uh, nine months. Mr. Guzzo, with the with the final minute that we have here, your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, please, sir. Learn how to spend time with yourself. Uh, um, appreciate yourself, uh, and realize that at the end of the day, uh, uh, being an entrepreneur is a very lonely journey. Nobody understands your anxieties. Nobody understands your turmoil. Uh, and at the end of the day. Some people may walk with you, but they're not going to finish that journey with you. They'll start it with you, but they're not going to finish it with you. So it's a lonely ride to the top. And, you know, if, if a pyramid just reminds you of something, as you go up that pyramid, there's less and less room at every level for people to be there. So it gets lonelier at the top. So just, just appreciate yourself and learn how to like yourself because that's who you're going to spend a lot more time with than you think. That's awesome. Vince Guzzo, thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a pleasure talk, talking to you again tonight in, in an Thanks. expanded format. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Okay, Mike, and we'll see you back here next week. We'll be talking about the medical business, so lots to do this season on Today's Entrepreneur. Don't forget todaysentrepreneur.org for over a decade worth of business profiles, flmontreal.com as well for tax advice, and we'll see you back here next week. Good talk.